All right, Dave, this is us doing it. Yep. Yeah, this is our uh, Thanksgiving special, I guess. Gobble, gobble. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, what's new in your neck of the woods? Uh, another day, another major uh, operating system release, you know? Yeah, it's like we just came off the high of uh, RHEL 7.6, and then all of a sudden RHEL 8 beta pops out. Yeah, uh, that's right. It's just, all we do is turn out major new updates of operating systems around here. That's, every, uh, every episode. Every episode. Yeah. That's what we. That's that. <laughs> that's how often we do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. If uh, yeah, and if uh, uh, and I actually want to publicly thank um, uh, yes, the product managers and the engineering teams and the QE teams who contribute to all these things. But um, the unsung heroes of this are the people who literally move the bits out of the source code trees, get them built, composed, uh, packaged, signed, and then delivered into the, into the CDNs and stuff. That is, uh, that's a hilariously complicated operation. And, uh, those guys did the Lord's work. Um, you know, no sooner had, had they finished on the rel seven, six part, then they had to immediately jump into the rel eight work. Um, and in the meantime, respinning all the container images, every time we get CVEs and all the other stuff, that is a huge part of the business, very complicated set of problems. And, uh, they did a, they did a bang up job getting this stuff out the door. So, so nice work, everybody. Yeah. So what, well, outside of it being one more than rel seven, mm-hmm. what's, why should people go uh, stop with the pause the podcast right now and start downloading rel eight beta and kicking the tires? <laughs> well, um, there's it, the release notes uh, and and the kind of press release uh, did a, did a pretty good job at the major overviews. But let me see that I got um, I got maybe three favorite features um, in addition to all the usual kind of house cleaning, updating package versions, and it's a newer yeah. kernel, new kernel, yeah, new yeah. kernel, right? Um, so yeah, when we do a major version, it's our chance to, uh, it is our chance to break stuff, right? Um, mm-hmm. cause we don't have to, we, we don't have to, uh, we want it to be upgradable, but we don't need to stick with the, um, the, the rel seven compatibility, obviously, uh, cause we have a fresher version of the, uh, GNU libraries, fresher version of the kernel, things like that. So, you know, we pick up a lot of, uh, a lot of the usual, up, uh, updates, um, the stuff that we kind of very intentionally worked on uh, were the uh, in, the whole installation upgrade experience uh, is now improved. Um, connected to that, there's uh, a new tool called com- called the Composer, um, mm-hmm. which allows you to basically build your own images for you know ISOs, VMware, cloud images, and so forth. Uh, so we actually provide a tool that allows you to to build those images. Um, mm-hmm. which is what we've been working on that for about two years. And so happy to, happy to see that in the bag. So now people can kind of compose exactly the right operating system they want and then go express that kind of gold image, however they like, whether it's an AMI or a, a VMDK for VMware or an ISO for bare metal. Mm-hmm. And let's see, what are some other stuff? You got the app streams, uh, which was for us, it was like, a not a, I mean, it was a huge deal. It was a very complicated problem to solve, but it was, we, we assumed it was mostly, we were solving a problem for ourselves, but for some reason the press picked it up and people seemed to be very interested in it. So great. Um, so app streams are, uh, kind of, a, a successor to what people may know today as software collections. So this mm-hmm. is a way of updating, uh, programming runtimes like your nodes and your rubies and your uh, phps and your pythons uh, it's a way of updating those um, in place uh, separate from the life cycle of the operating system and so the idea here is that we wanted to get 
as much of the user space as we could into these app streams. And that would allow folks to easily, for example, switch from one version of Node to another and kind of stay on that stream and still receive all the updates they want, right? Um, uh, so uh, this is something that the developers in particular find very useful, but it's also something that sysadmins like um, because usually uh, kind of ripping and replacing versions of programming runtimes is, is kind of painful and it's certainly complicated to manage. Um, mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. we're providing a, basically a facility uh, to manage the, the versioning problem uh, in, in short. So mm -hmm. um, app streams is what we're calling it. Um, uh, so you install, upgrade, app streams, composer. Oh, and then I guess the last one is this is a special, this is, this is a special gift uh, to the typical Dave and Gunner show listener who's, uh, of course, very worried about security. Uh, mm -hmm. System-wide crypto policies. Mm. Um, and so now there is one place to say, uh, turn on FIPS, and the whole system will then go into FIPS mode, um, as opposed to kind of going into 13 different, con you know, configuration files and, and setting all the things up correctly. Uh, System-wide uh, crypto policies, which means that you can set your expectations in one place and the rest of the system will comply as long as you are using uh, supported crypto libraries, of course. So yes. don't roll your own crypto. Yet another reason right. to not roll your own crypto. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, speaking of FIPS and crypto and stuff like that. Uh, RHEL is uh, we're certifying our FIPS on, or, or the goal is to do it every minor release, right? So it's mm -hmm. almost like a continuous recertification. Where in the past it used to be, you know, once every major release, whether it needed it or not, you right, know, and right. and so um, that's really exciting too. Uh, so because especially knowing how like a lot of times um, you certify on something and then the uh, then a vulnerability comes out and it you know you you need to update and uh so uh and then it's like well um, should i be compliant or should i be secure and and here you don't have to choose yes yes that's right that's right um oh and there's another there's another big kind of uh convenience i would say uh, especially for people historical rail users um so dave if i said the words supplemental extras optional yeah. is that ringing a bell yeah. yeah yeah and and like the the you like all the repos you got to enable and mm -hmm. it's it was just like it's a mess dante's yeah. seven you know, <laughs> that's right. yeah, yeah that's seven right. levels of yeah right yeah <laughs> that's right and so we had set up because different software falls under different rules and different kind of support policies and things like that we had things called supplemental channel which was full of a certain kind of software and then extras which is full of different kind of a software and so on and on we had like a dozen of these um and while they were useful when there were just a few small number of them they became less useful as we got to as as more of them uh, showed up and uh we finally uh we finally folded and asked for a new dealer on the, on the channel <laughs> on the channel management and uh and so yeah so we've consolidated all of the um uh, we consolidated all the content down into just three channels um uh and so you no longer have to go hunting for where the package lives it's all going to live in that one channel and instead we use the app streams to help differentiate the the support and the lifecycle policies so um yeah that's a that's a huge engineering lift which we hope is going to make people's lives easier uh while at the same time being mostly transparent so kind of yes. a, a three-way trick there which we hope we're, we pulled off so yeah if you haven't already please go um, we'll include a link in the show notes. Please go download the Relic beta, uh, kick the tires, please file bugs. This is why we do betas, right? Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, take it for a spin. Nice. Yep. Nice.
So anyway, that's what I've been doing uh, for the last several weeks. Uh, what's going on with you? Oh, well, we had uh, Defense in Depth earlier this week. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's classic, classic event for public sector fans and everything. Great turnout. And it was like the day before uh, Rel 8 Beta came out. And so, like, everybody was parsing their words of, like, <laughs> in Rel, the... You can imagine something based on Fedora 29, you know, and, was, and you know, and Mark Thacker is, you know, it's like we're, we're like ready to have a swear jar or something, and don't say it, don't say it, you know, and, uh, yeah, and everybody's like, watch the news, you know, in 48 hours, and and uh, but uh, but it was it was a good time, it was a great turnout, and uh, it was amazing how, you know, like the SAs have put together a lot of really cool labs, uh, like mm-hmm. security labs, of that integrate all the products together. There is a uh, a DevSec Ops lab where mm-hmm. you know they had OpenShift and um, integrated with Jenkins, and and they're doing a CI/CD pipeline with security in it and everything. And uh, so instead of just like you know a point product. It was like a full development uh, that they went through, and they were doing security scans with uh, the Java app and everything. So it was it was a great great event and a lot of work by a lot of folks. So there was uh, a good time was had by all. Nice. Oh, that's great. That's good. Yep. That's good. Yep. Um, all right. Well, uh, what do we got on tap for the uh, for the show today? Yeah. So uh, well, we're going to be talking about help. Um, so uh, we're going to be talking about the Chinese industry helping the Chinese government. Um, the Chinese helping U.S. state governments, um, some dude helping himself to UPS's mail, and uh, some other dude uh, being no help to American Airlines. Oh, I like this. That's a good theme. That's a good theme. So, Dave, if, uh, if folks want links for the uh, Relay Beta, what website should they visit? They want to go to dgshow.org. Uh, so, D's and Dave, G's and Gunner Show.org. Nice. And I noticed there was a theme for the cutting room floor this week. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a very small cutting room floor, uh, but it's uh, 30, settling, uh, 30 unsettling photos of ventriloquist dummies. Um, That's really easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, compared to the settling ones that calm you down. Um, yeah, the, then there's uh, 30 unsettling photos of clowns. And um, as a palate cleanser, uh, we have a, a flicker stream of thousands of photos of just control panels. So oh, that is... That is, yeah, that is a good that's account. That's up your alley. Yeah, that yeah. is right up my alley. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Um, all right. So uh, how is Chinese industry helping the Chinese government? Yeah. So um, so this is like, like you know how it is. Like we're going to trade shows all the time and stuff in the U.S. And there was actually a uh, – just recently there was a, an event at um, – one of these uh, uh, trade shows in China where, you know, they, and people walk the booths and they were talking to people and um, like, or have you been following the, the, the plight of the Uyghurs in, uh, was it the uh, Xinjiang? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. So, so the, so the Chinese government is uh, basically instituted a program, a pogrom over there uh, of the, the ethnic Uyghur population is being uh, subjected to surveillance regimes and being put in concentration camps and it's becoming a, and it is a human rights crisis and, um, the world is kind of figuring out how to respond to it. And, um, the Chinese are mostly acting with impunity at this point. Is that a good summary? 
Yeah, yeah. They, you know, and it's largely the, I guess it's an ethnic uh, Muslim minority there. And the, the Chinese government says that that's like a hotbed of terrorism. So they're uh, using that as sort of like a uh, incubator proving ground for surveillance technologies there. So like one of the things that I read an article where you can go to a uh, somebody's house and there's a QR code and the authorities would scan the QR code and and then it would say how many people live in that house. And, and when they go to look inside the house and they find more people there, they could, uh, you know, ask additional questions. And, you know, they would do stuff like that. And then they would do, um, like you said, they or I guess they would call them re-education camps to get people to, uh, um, you know, uh, change uh, their thinking. And then um, and all that. So, yeah, that's that's all going on there. But. It was interesting just like as I read this article talking about how the Internet companies are working with the government. Um, and so like Tencent, for example, you know, they talked about, uh, um, uh, you know, so um, the, the, one of one of their executives said Tencent has been uh, dedicated to dealing with terrorist information online and other Internet uh, crimes in line with the government's crackdown. And, uh, you know, he talks about uh, illegal activity on the platform. Um, so he says that uh, uh, Tencent reports illegal activity discovered on its platform to the government, um, after which the authorities can re request specific user information and uh, metadata describing when and where the users logged into a Tencent app can be stored up to six months, he said. And but he denied that the company gave law enforcement officials a back door through which they could freely peruse chat records and user data. Mm, that doesn't seem plausible or credible, right? Yeah. Or it's like, do they need to have the, the back door, right? If they're You're freely right. providing it. So <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> you, know, yeah. you don't need a back door if the front door is like wide open, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and he was saying that we only store the content that the law prescribes, and however, uh, however long the law says to store it, that's how long we store it. Whatever the law says to store, that's what we store. Right. And uh, so it's like, okay, all right. Um, and then uh, related to that, it was like if you walk through, and they were talking about the different booths, and some of the booths, you know, like the hot thing was uh, facial recognition in mm -hmm. Chinese tech. Um, so providing the technology behind uh, funny booth, funny video selfies and uh, also smart surveillance cameras. Um, and uh, so that was interesting of, of like how you could have it for fun and also for surveillance, I guess. And there was another company that was interesting they, they, uh, called Iris King. And so they were based in Beijing with uh, substantial state backing. And uh, they they started off by making Iris recognition software for coal mines because you know you come up from the coal mine um, to clock in and clock out uh, for your pay and your hands are filthy you know it's it doesn't work on mm. a, on a fingerprint reader so hey mm. let's let's use your retina what could go wrong right <laughs> um, so they're doing that and and they're also doing other great uh, things like uh, helping to identify refugees in Syria and recover trafficked children in China um, so that that was great and they also started working uh, with the authorities uh, in uh, Xinjiang, um, and where they had the goal to have the irises of all uh, Xinjiang residents within two years. All right, this reminds me of the uh, um, the Indian, uh, the country of India, 
have that uh, have they have the national ID program, which has biometrics, and so they yes. they've also collected like, the fingerprints and I forget what all the biometrics were. I think irises were one of them. Um, so basically, a comprehensive catalog of all the biometrics for every citizen in the country. Um, and uh, yeah, so that seems like ripe for abuse and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Especially for. Uh provinces where you want to keep an eye on everybody that's right um, and so the, so. so dave tell me it, what for you what is the difference between uh, uh initiatives like this and say like the real id um mm-hmm. driver's licensing in the united states so like real id also puts biometrics into the driver state driver's licenses and those are the same documents that are for example required for travel right um yeah and so uh there's a lot of uh kind of whataboutism around uh, kind of, well, this, how is this actually different than how things work in the United States? And is there a difference? Yeah. Well, and, well, another part too, is it even without the biometrics, what about using, you know, like you go and get your driver's license photo and you think that that photo is just used to, um, you know, if you get pulled over, uh, it's used as identification to match your ID to you, uh, with the, you know, authorities and all that. But, you know, is it being used for, um, you know, image or facial recognition where it's like, oh, we take a picture, we run it through and, and get all kind of results back and stuff like that. So, but what do you think? Um, Is there a difference with, well, I think, well, yeah, it's funny. And- I, I, uh, a while back I listened to, so I'm a big listener of the Lawfare podcast. Are you familiar with that? Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a bunch of like national security nerds, um, like, like national security lawyers, uh, okay. talking about their work, uh, which is actually really interesting because they kind of, they exist in this kind of liminal area between intelligence work and the law. Um, which, you know, as we know, is like this very interesting gray area. Right. Um, and kind of, you know, so, uh, topics include, um, not just the, the relationship between law and war, um, but also the law and 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 surveillance uh missions mm-hmm. and so they spend a lot of time talking about issues like this and um benjamin wittis who's kind of one of the personalities over there at the lawfare group um he made the point which i thought was interesting was which was there is no equivalence between the surveillance regimes in other countries like even germany and france and the surveillance regimes in the united states because the rule of law here first of all the rule of law here is very strong and the terms under which we are surveilled in the united states is so uh, there is such a robust set of checks and balances around them. You know, mm-hmm. so think of things like the FISA court and the rest of it, like most other countries don't even have a FISA court, right? Um, right. Like relatively low level law enforcement, in law enforcement authorities are able to do things that it requires a FISA court to do here. Um, and so he, anyway, he encourages folks to think about, um, you know, the elaborate, framework of laws that we have built up here in order to protect citizens against an overbearing and and surveilling government, Um, which is kind of a persuasive argument. I mean, it it is true that, I mean, we have, there are many more protections for these kinds of things in the United States than there are in France or Germany. Uh, But that does elide the issue of whether all of these countries are doing too much surveillance (laughs) and and what the, and what the consequences are. Right. Um, You know, just being the, um, uh, being the safest of all of the extremely intrusive governments is not a, is not a very, is not a great argument. Um, uh, but it is true that 
I don't know, in China, I mean, there's a reason why this technology is really taking off in China. Um, and it's because the Chinese government is actively encouraging it and wants as many of these tools as possible. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and doing kind of mass surveillance on a really staggering scale. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, things like, we've talked about on the show too, about technologies that allow you to kind of remotely identify people, not by, not even by gate or by their like face recognition, but like remotely detecting irises. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can like positively identify somebody just as they're passing through an elevator or passing through a train. Um, mm-hmm. that seems, uh, that creates a surveillance atmosphere that is, uh, well, it is explicitly designed to change behavior. Right. Right. In fact, like, yeah, like the Chinese government, yeah, exactly. Like social credit stores, like the Chinese government is, it's not an accident that they are being public about all of this work is because it is in their interest to make sure that citizens believe that there is a camera in, in all their televisions. They should, you know, the camera in all the phones, camera in all the doors, camera in all the hallways and all the trains and all the cars and all the buses and all the street corners. Um, this even more powerful than the actual surveillance itself is the implication that you are always being surveilled. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. uh, 1984, right? That's mm-hmm. a, you don't, mm-hmm. you don't know if they're actually watching you at that moment, but they could be. And that's what keeps people, uh, yeah, compliant. In line. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, all right. But, uh, but there is hope. Uh, not everyone is, a, even the Chinese government is not immune, uh, from, uh, from a information security attacks though, right? No, no. And so like if you were in a parking lot and you found a USB drive in the parking lot, yep. what do you do? Right in the laptop. Stick it right in there. Who knows? It could be some sweet MP3s, some, uh, some yeah. sick fish covers that I want to hear. Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. I'm looking for. There's all kinds of goodies on those, on those free USBs. So they go right in the yeah, laptop. Or, yeah. Or find out maybe it's, uh, some Bitcoin in there or, mm-hmm. uh, or, or maybe it's the address of the owner in there and you just want to return it to them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's one of the things that it's like a common, um, uh, was a security test, right? Where, you know, the, the people, the security teams will throw these USB drives in a parking lot and see who brings them in. And then that, those are your candidates that go into the remedial school for, um, <laughs> uh, operational security and everything. And, uh, yeah, but uh, a new twist is that there were some people from state governments that were getting in the postal mail um, these CDs with uh, Chinese writing on them. And, uh, yeah, and then they would, like, pop the CD in, and it, I guess it contained uh, uh, Mandarin language uh, Microsoft Word files um, that included some uh, malicious Visual Basic scripts. <laughs> <laughs> that what a what a weird thing to do what a what a i mean it has to be it's a, it, and so they're they're packaged up and like postmarked from china yeah yeah, yeah. so like and conspicuously like, like yeah, yeah uh, so you'd have to be like real dumb to actually put this in your computer right i guess yeah and and that's like yeah, these aren't like AOL CDs that you're getting in the mail, <laughs> or you know, um, yeah, and, and yeah, and and then it's like you open it up. There's like a, a letter in there that had, uh, you know, it's like poorly written in English with random like Chinese characters all over it and everything. So, uh, yeah, I guess for our state and local people, it's like uh, you know, don't don't plug it in. The other thing too is how many people have CD drives anymore? Well, that's right. Yeah, it's a kind of kind of tone deaf that way. Although we are talking about state governments. 
So yeah, I mean, true, <laughs> true. true. Yeah, eight inch floppy disks. Yeah, yeah um, that's right. Yeah. Um, although that that smells like a test, right? That smells like somebody's doing an audit. Somebody's doing it. Somebody's checking the opsec on these. Yeah, on these the bar things. is really low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. right. Um, well, I can't wait to hear the results. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and speaking of mail, um, mm. so like, you know, whenever you move, you do the change of address form, right? Mm-hmm. And then they, they resend the, the mail from your old address to your new mat address, right? Very convenient. You can do it right online. Yep. Yep. So it winds up, um, there's this guy in Chicago that did a change of address form uh, for the corporate headquarters of UPS to his apartment. <laughs> oh, bless him. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's so yeah. good. Well, uh, allegedly. Uh, I'll preface that with allegedly. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so not only did the change go through, but it took UPS months for it to catch on. And <laughs> And then the other thing is that the um, it didn't uh, so it was stuff like um, CEO letters to the CEO um, like credit cards corporate credit cards tens of thousands of dollars and business checks uh, were sent to to this guy's apartment and then um, it wasn't until um, the the alleged uh, perpetrator uh, he cashed about sixty thousand dollars worth of UPS checks and deposited them into his own bank account. <laughs> and the, and according to the affidavit, it's like this guy didn't, he didn't identify himself on the one page change of address form. Um, he started writing his initials and then scratched it out and wrote UPS on it. <laughs> and then three months later, you know, the UPS security coordinator, they started backtracking. They figured out, it's like, Hey, there's all these checks that are going, and then they went to the postal inspector, and and this to me is kind of ironic too. It's you got UPS and um, the postal service talking to each other, right? And um, and uh, the postal inspectors um, they went and they actually interviewed the the letter carrier, and the letter carrier was like, "Yeah, my gosh, it's like this guy's apartment. I couldn't fit all the mail in his little postal slot in his <laughs> mailbox." So he was like dropping off like a bin of mail like every day at this guy's at this guy's apartment. Um, so yeah, and and then it winds up that uh, um, the the newspaper actually uh, talked to the guy outside of his apartment building, and he said that uh, he hinted at receiving the UPS mail, but he said it was a result of a mix-up and it wasn't his fault, and that his uh, and he also mentioned that his identity may have been stolen. But he didn't really elaborate on it. <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's like well. So first of all, oh, my first yeah, thought let's was unpack this, yeah. Right? Let's unpack it. For, so here's where I, here, here's where here's where I go with it. I am enjoying the idea that um, UPS didn't notice because so you know Dave like when you're uh, you know this as a, as a as a government uh, as a government sales guy you go and talk to the U.S. Postal Service and the last thing you want to do is FedEx them a PO right they don't like that. Right. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's not encouraged. I suspect right. the same thing is happening over on the UPS side. where like, if you're sending, if you're using postal mail to send something to UPS, you're making a, you're making, you know, you're making an error. Um, you're not expecting to get a response. I think that, uh, I think I was surprised that UPS received any U S postal mail at all. Right. Which may explain why it took them months to right. month, months to figure it out. Right. Cause, uh, cause everybody knows that if you're, you're not going to FedEx something to UPS, like you, you should know better right. than that. Um, 
So anyway, that was, that was, that was my first thought. Um, my second thought was, uh, yeah, there's the, there's the problem of, uh, so good for this guy, smart enough to get the mail redirected, not smart enough not to use his own bank account. But, uh, my thought was he's got an actual like logistics problem now because he's got all this mail coming in. Can one human process all of UPS headquarters mail and pick out the, pick out the checks? Like what does this guy's recycling bin look like? Right. Yeah. Huge problem. Yeah. Anyway, so where, 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 where did you go with it? Oh, I was just like shaking my head. It was like, uh, yeah, it, it's like using your own address, using your own checking account. Um, <laughs> yep. And, and then uh, some, some big thing about like, been, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. My identity, identity got stolen. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. That's a good one. To me, it's, it just sounded like a Seinfeld episode, right? With, with Newman or, or something, you know, and Kramer, Kramer has some scheme and, you know, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, all yeah. right. And, uh, yeah, the last thing I had here was, uh, they, they also talk about pushing the envelope, uh, in, in the, um, in terms of uh, uh, American Airlines business strategy. Um, so there's a guy who wrote an article, uh, I think it was in Forbes, uh, or uh, yeah, it was in Forbes. And uh, I guess he has a column or something. And, and he says that American Airlines can become the next Amazon of the sky or the next Uber. And he did this whole article on um, um, su- suggestions for uh, American. And, and so let me, let me bounce these off you as as a uh, a flyer um would this would these resonate with you um so from an, the uber angle um he says that why should american force its passengers to take an uber or taxi why can't american create a cost effective passenger delivery system and return service for its customers i i don't even i <laughs> i don't even understand the question what is it what is yeah. he talking about well it's well, right now it's two steps, right? You 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 have to book your flight, then you got to book transportation to get to and from the airport. Why can't American do all that for you? Oh, There's, I see. Americans leaving money on the table here. Yeah. Well, also the fact that those are two, uh, yes, one customer experience, but two completely unrelated industries with like two. Anyway, I think it's a dumb idea. Okay. All right. Well, all right. So what's the next one? What's the next one? Yeah, because he like they're even he's even speculating that Americans should buy Uber. So. I, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so no, no right. on that one. No, okay. no, hard pass on that. Yeah. Next, uh, Amazon of the sky. Um, so he sees that uh, like leveraging their onboard technology and its own branded merchandise to sell products to passengers while you're uh, on the airplane. So think about um, like American Airlines buying Overstock.com. And using it as uh, the, the airplane experience as a retail channel worth exploring. So, for instance, um, instead of the, the airmail catalog where you just passively watch, uh, look at the catalog, and then you buy stuff later, why can't you be on there uh, like throughout your flight, flight just like buying stuff like crazy? Well, I, I, this is okay. This is also a dumb like Sky Mall, right? Which mm-hmm. as which as near as I can tell is not doing that great. Um, well, he said that it, he his theory is that it failed because the disconnection between the magazine and being able to like order right away. But if you're using the onboard internet on the airplane, um, and you could just order all kind of stuff right there in your seat. 
Yeah, but but you already have onboard internet, in which case you're going to Amazon. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it's I'm not sure why why integrating the experience is going to make it any more likely that that somebody would buy something from it. Like, uh, certainly nobody is nobody is so enamored of the user experience on those seat back video systems that they're going to use it to like. I can barely get it to play a movie for me, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> let alone buy retail. Um, and you're probably connected to Amazon already. Now, where this is interesting is actually. So, when was the last time you flew JetBlue? Never. So JetBlue has a very interesting partnership with Amazon. And here's where a place like this does make sense, I think. Um, when you log into the JetBlue Wi-Fi, which is extremely good, by the way, like some of the best mm-hmm. I've ever used, um, you can tell it that you're an Amazon customer. And if you mm-hmm. are an Amazon Prime customer, um, you have access in your seat back to all the Amazon Prime content in the video mm. system. And okay. so... So that so that seems like a very powerful experience to me because I have my that, because this has happened to me. I'm not an Amazon Prime customer for reasons we have discussed in the past, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I, I'm forced to sit there for four hours with watching trailers for Amazon Prime shows for like four and mm-hmm. a half hours because that's the default that the seatback is showing you. Um, mm-hmm. And unless you deliberately turn it off, you're basically having Amazon Prime advertised to you totally captive for you know whatever three and a half hour flight from Austin to Boston. Um, mm-hmm. That I that. That is an experience that makes sense to me, right? Um, and so you can do your Amazon shopping um, through their Wi-Fi, and that's all branded, and and they you know they, you, it's just a couple clicks to get to the Amazon site, and they make it very easy for you to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And they connect the Amazon Prime Video service with with uh, with the in-flight video system. Um, that makes a ton of sense to me. Um, okay. I don't see any reason why I would. Uh, I don't associate. I don't associate American with good customer service. I certainly don't associate American with a service uh, with a trust, the kind of trust that I would want to put in a retailer. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, you're not parlaying your brand, uh, the brand strengths of American, to the extent that they have any, um, are not going to influence a. I don't think would influence a consumer in the direction of retail. But then again, I'm not a retail analyst, so what do I know? Okay. Okay. So so uh, so Amazon in the sky. No, no. So we got two no's so far. Okay, yeah. third, third, and final one. Um, let's see if he could he could bring you around on this one. Um, I'll, I'll, let me just start with this, uh, and then I'll pause to get your reaction. Uh, he said that uh, American isn't. Uh, so this is regarding food. So 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 we got the retail angle, we got the uh, Uber angle. Now we're going to talk food. So he says that American isn't just an airline; it's a restaurant in the sky. Okay, I have now identified the problem. This gentleman has never set foot in an airplane. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He says. He says. Why can't American create its own restaurant chain? Sounds crazy, right? The the. But it's not. The grocery retailer Kroger just created its own restaurant concept called Kitchen 1883. Uh, Swedish retailer IKEA discovered almost by accident that it was selling nearly two billion dollars in food through its in-store restaurants and is considering a chain of restaurants. And what if um, uh, American acquired Icon Meals and served the meals on planes while providing uh, passengers an option to order the food and have the meals received at home? Icon is one of the best, if not best, ready-to-eat meal companies in the business. What if uh, American entered a strategic? Uh, entered into a strategic partnership with HelloFresh or Kroger. What if American Airlines acquired Blue Apron? Good lord, good lord, this man's deranged. Yeah. So that so here's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and turn this 
this guy's this, this is can bananas. we give him something we need to give him something some <laughs> ideas yeah i got he can he can well speaking as a product manager he could go take some product management courses i would start there yeah. um and in that course on day zero they will tell you that you need to understand your customer <laughs> you yes. need to you need to understand all of these are not solving problems that an airline passenger has right yeah um, blue apron <laughs> i need i need a, a meal kit that i can cook that yeah. american what if american remember? merged with fedex think about it they both move things in airplanes like no yeah. this is a, no What's, yeah. what's the matter with you? Americans should yeah. be Americans should open up a banking wing. Uh, that way, people can finance. A, stop. They could buy their tickets through the bank and all the <laughs> credit card fees. Yes, I, I see where you're going here. I mean, it, <laughs> it, this is endless, endless upside potential. Yeah. So, and and I'll close this out with uh, he does end with a final comment. He said the ideas outlined in this article can also be utilized by Delta or any number of airlines. I chose American Airlines due to its global scale. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. So if Delta, all the Delta people, um, they're going to pick up on this. <laughs> Huge opportunity. Bidding war for Uber. Right? <laughs> Uh, my favorite thing is, you, you, uh, Dave, you pasted this guy's, uh, you pasted this guy's bio in the, uh, in the show notes here. And my favorite part is that he included his email address in the bio and <laughs> I'm globally recognized thought leader. He highly sought after keynote speaker, yada, yada, yada. And at the bottom is a uh, something, something 48 at gmail.com. <laughs> right. I think this guy's going places. That's what I think. That's yep. what I think. Up into the right. Up yep. into the right. Uh, so i'm glad it wasn't just me i I read this and i'm like no 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 this is forbes really for you know forbes is for forbes has its own really interesting uh business model which is to uh if you'll forgive the expression prostitute its brand to literally anybody who can hit send on a on a blog post right um like as far as like as far as i know as far as i can tell forbes is not exercising any editorial control uh, over that, over that site anymore. Um, no, not on this article. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, all right, man. Speaking of up and to the right, should we, uh, put a lid on this? Yeah. Yeah. That you need to go look at your, uh, control panel, uh, uh flicker pool. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So some, spend some meditative moments with my control panel flicker pool. Yep. Um, all right, Dave. Well, if uh, if folks if folks want links to uh, some of these uh, advanced synergistic business propositions, uh, mm-hmm. to the Relay Beta, um, or to more information about the uh, Chinese surveillance state, what uh, what website should they go visit? Yeah, they want to go to dgshow.org. So D's and Dave, G's and Gunner Show org. All right. Well, thanks, Dave. Yeah. Thank you, and thanks everybody for listening. Catch you all later. Mm-hmm.